Hello and welcome to Story of the Book, where middle grade YA and picture book authors tell the stories of their books from beginning to end. I'm Hayley Chewins. I write books about magical girls with secrets. And I'm Lindsay Eager. I write books about growing up in this weird, wondrous world. And we're so very happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on Story of the Book, we are talking to Haley Chewins. Haley grew up in Cape Town, South Africa, in a house so full of books, she learned how to read by accident. She fell in love with stories and with music, and she studied classical voice at university before switching to a degree in Italian, English literature, and law. Yes, law. Well, as she was working on her law degree, she actually realized she really wanted to be a novelist. She started out by writing a few novels for adults before settling on children's books and realizing that that was where her heart lies. Her first book, The Turnaway Girls, came out to critical acclaim from Candlewick Press in 2018. And her second book, The Sisters of Stray Garden Place, came out in October of 2020. And it is absolutely delicious. So is Haley's Mind. Haley is one of my very favorite writers and also a very good friend of mine. She's somebody who's so generous with her time, always talking to me when I need, cheering up when I need recommendations for stories, for books, for music, for movies, for podcasts to listen to. And she's so good at brainstorming and helping me out of bad writing days. Her brain is like the most decadent dessert tray, macaroons, pieces of cake, lots of whipped cream, and so I hope that you will pour yourself a big cup of tea and listen to this episode, and I hope you will use the special teacup, of course. Hello! We are so lucky today to talk to Haley uh, Chewins about her book, The Sisters of Stray Garden Place. Hi, Haley! Hi, Lindsay! Thanks so much for having me on my own podcast. That's right, my co-host. I don't know why I said we are so lucky because you are also lucky to be talking to you. We are lucky. Exactly. We are lucky to be talking to each other. That's right. We are. We are so lucky. And we are especially lucky to be talking about The Sisters of Stray Garden Place because it's such a beautiful, wonderful book that's such a master of so many crafts that I want to talk to you about. But first, I would love to hear you tell everybody just what this book is. Give us the rundown. Cool. So The Sisters of Stray Garden Place is a middle grade gothic fantasy slash horror about sisters, three sisters, who live in a mansion that is surrounded by silver grass. And the grass is so tall that it covers the windows of the house, covers even the roof of the house. And uh, the sisters were left in this house seven years before the story begins by their parents. And their parents told them never to leave the house, never to go into the grass. And they've obeyed that until now, because the eldest sister at the beginning of the book, she goes out into the grass. And uh, when she returns, things start to get really weird and scary. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so it's about the middle sister and she has to figure out what's going on with her older sister and also why they're in the house in the first place, where their parents went and who they really are. Wonderful. Perfect pitch. Well done. (laughs) Cool. That's always the hardest part. Oh yeah. Don't you feel like you'd rather write a whole other novel than (laughs) pitch? And I actually, I love love writing pitches, but 
like saying them is different. It's so different. I would like for you to tell me the story of this idea. Where did it come from? What ingredients went into it? Tell me all about where the concept for this book came from. Cool. So I never have the experience of having like a clean concept that just drops into my mind and I'm like, oh, that's perfect. And then I write it. Um, I always have what I call an idea seed that starts. And that little seed, because it takes me a long time to figure out what the idea actually is um, through the writing of the book, but that seed usually stays the same or it has done until now. So the initial kind of idea seed that I had, I was living in England and I think what had influenced it, it's interesting looking back because you just think about all the experiences that you were having and all the things you were reading and things you were listening to and how they all kind of coalesced into this image. So I was living in Bath in England, which is a beautiful city, beautiful place. And what um, year was this? When was this? So this was 20, this would have been 2016. So I was doing a master's degree in uh, writing for young people at Bath Spa University. Yeah, they have this amazing master's program and you have to, I was living in Bath, but I had to kind of uh, take a bus to a village because all their classes were actually taught at this place called Corsham Court, which is like one of these, you know, old estates with this beautiful Elizabethan, I think it's Elizabethan manor house and uh yeah all the classes for the master's degree that I was doing were taught in these rooms of this house so so that definitely was something that influenced me but yeah so it was it was like the kind of crisp kind of winter January weather I was really missing my sisters because I was away from home and I was doing classes in this old house and so the first idea seed that I had for it was just this image of these sisters lying in a bed they were lying in an enormous bed all kind of tangled up and at that time it seemed like it was five sisters to me and um they were in I knew that they were in a house like Horsham Court like a really old beautiful mansion and I knew that it was cold and I knew that there were things happening outside the house that were mysterious and that they didn't understand but they all the sisters had different names the yeah like I said there were five sisters instead of three in the bed and they just had like very different it didn't have the silver grass it didn't they didn't have drum hunts yeah it was just it it didn't have the world around it but it just had these sisters and so I guess the the process of figuring out the idea kind of happened or overlaps with the drafting which is usually how it happens for me is that I get kind of an image and then I'm trying to find the truth of the story through writing all the wrong versions of the story and yeah and it took me a long time to find the the straight like the stray garden sisters um in the beginning also it had a different title it was called splint sister like splinter and sister put together and I just mm-hmm. liked the sound of that and uh yeah and I just I guess I was just really curious about these sisters the other thing that was apparent from that first image was that there was tension between them and I didn't know why but yeah, in the beginning, there was a very different concept about it had something to do with um, a person like the town surrounding the house and how all the sadness from all the people who lived in the town had to be carried by one person who lived on this estate. And it wasn't one of the sisters, but it was this older, it was, it was an adult and the, the sisters were kind of training to take over from the the adult person it changed like whether it was a woman or a man yeah so it was a completely different concept and it felt very foggy and there was so much I didn't know but I knew that I wanted to follow 
the sisters. Okay. I'm fascinated at how different the original concept was. Mm. So how many, like from the time that you got this original idea seed to the time that you finally landed on what would be, you know, the basic concept for the book as we know it now, how, Mm. how many different versions of it do you think you went through? Many, many, many different versions. So I guess during that time, I should explain, um, I wrote the beginning of it, um, like an opening for it as part of the master's course that I was doing. And then I had to write a manuscript for that course. And I ended up choosing a different idea. Um, I think partly because I just wanted to keep uh, these sisters that I discovered to myself. Like I just didn't feel like I wanted to share them yet. Um, So I worked on another book basically from kind of, yeah, the kind of tail end of 2015 until I had to hand the thesis in 2016. Mm -hmm. So nearly like a full year. And that book never ended up going anywhere. It was just, I just did it for the course. Um, And so I kind of put it aside. And then when I returned to the sisters, so I guess I did have like part of that long time was also just me, like the idea stewing in the back of my mind and me not really paying it much attention. Um, And then I came back to it and I wrote, I wrote so many different versions. I wrote, I literally wrote a version that was set on the moon or like in outer space. Um, I wrote a version that was set on an island that wasn't actually an island. It was the back of a whale, like an enormous whale that was moving very slowly. And (laughs) I wrote, um, so yeah, just to give you an idea. So from that initial idea, even though like in the first scene that I wrote, the the first idea seed, there was this manor house and there was this, you know, tone, but I couldn't figure out why they were in the house um, because I didn't like, I ended up discarding that idea about the, the sadness and the, there was this character called the weeper who had to like cry for everyone in the town. Um, I still kind of like that. It's kind of like a sin eater kind of vibe. I ended up discarding that because I couldn't make it work. And so I was trying to find, I was putting the sisters basically in different worlds and like different stories and giving them different things to do. Um, and they, throughout that time, they had different names. They, they had similar personalities. They had very, they had different names. They had different family structures. They had different worlds, uh, different magic systems. And, um, and the thing that changed it, actually, I'm remembering this now, is that I got this other idea, or rather there was like an echo of another idea that I thought of a long time ago that came back and merged with the sisters which is the idea that became the drum hunt. So this creature um, that sleeps inside your mind, initially the idea that I had was like a creature that sleeps inside your mind um, to to prevent you from having nightmares. Mm. And um, yeah, and that was just such a cool idea to me. And, but initially I, I went through different things. Like, is it a bird? At one point it was some kind of eagle. Is it like a kind of amorphous shadowy creature that doesn't actually exist in the real world? And then when I landed on, oh, no, it's a small, fluffy black dog. Mm -hmm. And I put them in the story with the sisters and kind of told myself, okay, each sister has a little dog. And then going back to that initial image of the bed, so them sleeping in the bed and these little dogs next to them, that kind of clicked something for me. And then after that, it became very, very close to what Stray Garden is. But it was still different in terms of plot, like the, the villain was different. They were different. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what the actual story was, but at least I had the world and a sense of what the magic was and the kind of, yeah, the broader, what was going on outside the windows of the house. Wow. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. So many things I want to follow up with. So I feel like something I know from talking to a lot of different writers is there's a sense of feeling like other versions of an idea. And especially if you go all the way through to drafting other, like drafting different versions of, of one idea or one novel can feel like very confusing and very much like a waste of time is I feel mm. like the, the phrase that I hear the most. I think there can be this angst if you don't get it right the first time and you kind of look back and look at all these different versions and think, oh, I wish that I had just landed on the right concept the first mm. time. So you have all these different versions of this one idea on the mm. moon, on a whale's back, on like all of the, and, and different plot concepts that you've tried on. So where do all of those other versions of your book go? And literally, or <laughs> yeah, like, let's get weird for a minute. Like, what do you okay. think happens to all of those different, all the different ways that you've tried and that didn't quite stick? Like what happens creatively to those ideas that don't stick? And also, how do you feel about it? How did you feel about it at the time? And how do you feel about it now? Knowing how mm. many, like how much experimentation was required to get to where it is now? It's interesting because I don't think of it in terms of like, I don't see it as a failure or like it was a waste of time at all mm -hmm. because the way I see it is um, I have to get to know the the characters and I have to get to know the story. Like what is it that's, I kind of do, I guess I kind of believe that each story that I'm trying to write has like a, in a way like a an ideal form. And so what I'm trying to do when I'm drafting all those wrong drafts is I'm trying to get to that ideal form and I can't get there unless I do it. So I can't get there unless I actually write the words of the story. It seems like it would be a lot more efficient if I could say, okay, let's plan like 15 different versions and see which one is best. Or like I'll pitch different versions to my agent and she can tell me which one she likes, or I'll, you know, think of the plots beforehand. Um, and I would, I would kind of like to do that on the one hand, because I do think it would be more, more efficient, like it would be quicker time-wise. But on the other hand, I also don't regret that I can't do that because it's just part of my process. And I really, I guess I kind of enjoy that process of discovery. It's really, really fun. I like trying different things and I never feel like anything is wasted. I don't know. I just, I don't feel like, you know, like the whale and the moon and the, all the different because the thing is, is that they're echoes of what Stray Garden is now, even in the version that was set on the moon. And in each version, there are echoes of what it is now. It almost feels like clues, like I'm leaving myself clues to try to figure it out. Hmm. Or I don't know, like my, my unconscious mind is leaving my conscious mind clues about, you know, this is what the story is supposed to be. So even if it's on the moon, you know, there are certain characters or certain scenes that had a, a feeling tone or an emotional kind of resonance that was there um, and that continued through. So it's, it's, I don't know, I just, I don't see any other way that I could do it. And it just, I mean, not that I don't see, I mean, I, I know logically I could do it in different ways, but I've tried to do it like that and it just doesn't have the same, I don't come up with the same kinds of ideas. I don't know the characters well enough. Everything feels very flat if I do it that way. Whereas this feels more like, it feels kind of like an experiential way of writing where I'm trying to get, like, get to a certain feeling state and really get to know the characters and the world 
by going there um, instead of thinking about going there. Like it's the difference between seeing a picture of something and actually like being somewhere. It just, I don't feel like it's a waste of time. I don't feel it. I do sometimes think about efficiency, but at the same time, I've made peace with the fact that this is how I tell my stories. And this is also how I, I, I really believe in pleasure, like as a concept, I think pleasure is important. I think beauty is important. I think it's important to do something in a way that feels good to you. And I think some people enjoy, I've definitely met some writers who enjoy planning, who enjoy outlining. And I'm just not one of those, I'm not one of those people. So I do kind of feel like there's so many stories that I tried to write and I got halfway and then it wasn't working. And I liked, like, I still like the the whale idea, you know, like this island that everyone thinks is an island, but it's actually a whale. I still love that idea. I could still put that in a story in the future. It's not gone. It will always be there. It's not like the sister, the Stray Garden sisters, the Blastian sisters. It's not their story, but it's someone else's story. And I guess that story soup is always like in my mind and different things kind of come up at different times. And I just trust that whatever needs to be in the story that I'm currently writing will appear and will be there. And I don't know if that sounds like kind of woo-woo or just like not, not very, it doesn't sound very like professional and logical, but it, that's, I just have that like in a trust that it will, it will work out. Jeez. I'm just thinking about <laughs> the way that you said, I believe in pleasure and doing something in a way that feels good to you. Mm. Is that something that just has come naturally to you as a creator? Because I feel like, especially, especially in once you make this your profession, or once you are part of a professional industry of creatives, mm. I feel like that concept of oh, this might take longer, but it, it's fun to do mm. unless, <laughs> unless you can directly track how it's going to make the end product better. It feels sort of like something that we don't consider. So yeah. is, is that something that comes naturally to you? Is, is it something that pops up in other areas of your life? Like, is this who you are or is this who you have become as a creator in order to survive as a creator? I think I've always lent towards pleasure well, firstly, I actually enjoy writing. What a concept. You like writing? <laughs> um, yeah, I like writing. <laughs> I enjoy it. My name is hey, Haley, bro. and I like writing. Oh, it yeah. feels like a confession. confession time. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I think that's important, an important point that you raised, that you know, once you, you get published, you do start thinking about things differently and you start thinking, well, shouldn't I be writing a book a year? Shouldn't I be writing two books a year? Shouldn't I be writing YA and middle grade and picture books and adult books? And I definitely hopped on that train for a little while. I did, but I very quickly hopped off because it sucked all the joy out of writing for me. And honestly, the thing that keeps saving me when I get off track is coming back to joy. Like that's, you know, that's the truth of why I write is not, I love being published. I want to be published for the rest of my life. I want to keep publishing books, but that's not why I started writing. You know, I started writing when I was really, really, really small. And it was always such a refuge for me and such a joy. And I think too, it's so sad, you know, to think, well, I have to give that up because now I'm a professional writer who needs to write many books at the same time even though that doesn't suit me or makes me feel like I don't like writing mm -hmm. so I don't know I think I try to think sustainably about it because I think if I have to keep writing if I want to write and, and publish books 
um, hopefully, you know, for the rest of my life, then I need to think of it as, as a sustainable practice. How can I keep doing this? And the thing that keeps me doing it, um, even though sometimes it's hard and there are disappointments and all of that, is the joy of actually writing. And that's like the joy of sentences, the joy of like being in a scene and something happens that you didn't expect to happen the joy of like two words coming together and you're going like, oh, what is a, what is a drum hunt? Or like, what does stray garden mean? Or like playing with names, that kind of thing. Like the actual texture of language is the thing that I really, really love. And the surprise and the, like that feeling of following my intuition. It's hard once you get published, not to get a little bit disillusioned by the business of writing. Because it is different from, you know, if you just, if you're doing it as a hobby or just purely out of joy or purely out of love um, and like money isn't involved and commerce isn't involved. But at the same time, I think that, yeah, paradoxically, in order to survive, I do feel like I have to actually not not think about commerce because I have to think about it in some ways, but in the actual writing, it feels like that's a sacred space that exists outside of publishing. That's between me and the page. That's between me and the laptop. That's between me and the story that I want to tell and my own intuition and my own voice. And that's not something that I can force or rush or like hack or like put a, you know, oh, three-step process to find the perfect plot. I can't, I can't do that with it. That is the perfect segue to have you tell me the story of drafting this book. Mm. Once you kind of had landed on, oh, this feels right. Once you had... yeah the image of the, the Drumhuns coming mm-hmm. into the girls' minds. <laughs> yeah. uh, sidebar, were they always called Drumhuns even before you knew they were dogs? No, okay. they had a bunch of different names. Okay, because I was going to say the Huns sounds so much like hounds, and I just couldn't imagine mm-hmm. them being anything other than little hounds, little dogs. Yeah, I also played around with things that sounded a bit more a bit more English, like I can't even remember any of them now. There was one that had dog in it rather than hunt. Mm-hmm. But I just, I don't know. I think partly they were inspired by my dog, Daffer, who is a little toy poodle. And the German poodle comes from Poodlehund, which is like a oh. puddle dog because they're water dogs. Oh, um, I had no idea. So that's kind of what, it's kind of a nod to that, to the Poodlehund. But they had a whole bunch of different names Mm. and the dogs had different names, different individual names and everyone had different names. Yeah. Names are actually something that really clicks for me quite late in the process. So I I often, I have drafts of, you know, like similar plot, but all the characters have different names. (laughs) So what I remember about it is that by that, by this time, by the time I'd kind of figured out all the stuff about the, the drum hunts and the sisters so I had them in the house. I had the, it took me a while to actually get the grass. Once that clicked and that actually was a cool moment because it happened from a dream, which doesn't normally happen to me. Um, I had a nap in the afternoon and I, I had this dream about grass. Like I just could see the house in my head and I could see silver grass all around it. In fact, I don't even know if it was a dream or if it was, um, you know, when you're like waking up from sleep and you're half awake and you're half asleep and you just have images in your head, more like that. It's that moment when you're aware that you're dreaming and you can kind of like look, you're you're watching your dream in a way instead of just being like in it yeah. or pulled along by it. 
so yeah, so I woke up all groggy from this nap and I wrote a note about that, about like silver grass being um, all around the house. So that was something that was important because of course, all these images end up being really important plot things. Like they're, they're, they're important to the mystery of why the girls are in the house in the first place, um, which is something that I had, I didn't know at the, at the start of drafting. So that clicked the grass and then it took me a while to click like why the girls had tension, you know, why they were, two of them were like closer and then the older one was a bit more distant, but I couldn't, it took me a long time to figure out the villain. Um, firstly, how she fitted into the whole thing and, and then also to how to reveal her part of the story. It's hard when you're doing it kind of, I don't like to write villains that are just evil for evil's sake. Um, and I also, I had, read I think at this point I'd read Strange the Dreamer and I was interested in kind of yeah like the complexities of why villains do what they do yeah that was something that I was thinking about but I I was just really my drafts are always really messy Mm -hmm. I just let myself do whatever on the page I let myself change people's names I let myself add characters and take them out at one point there was a governess and there wasn't a governess at one point they were before I discovered the thing about the grass they were kind of inside the house outside the house they were doing different things and I couldn't I I couldn't figure out what 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 the main conflict of the story was and yeah once the grass clicked and I realized they couldn't leave that was kind of a big moment and then and then realizing who the villain actually was and why and her kind of motivation was also a really big moment. Oh, I'm allowed to spoil the book. I forgot that. Yeah, let's say let's say from here on out, here be spoilers. I don't actually, the thing is, I don't, I'm not a very organized person. I should say this from the outset. I have a vague recollection of how many drafts I wrote until I kind of got to that point, which is probably two or three. But I don't really, I don't really know. to be honest I don't know how many it was in total and I I don't know like when I don't know it all it all feels very dreamy and foggy and like I can't remember really what order things happened in but but it was so it was an important thing having the sisters in the drum hunts and then the grass clicked I think that was the order and then figuring out the mysteriosa and who she was and kind of the fact I always knew that she was really lonely, mm-hmm. that she wanted to be one of the sisters desperately and that she obviously couldn't. Um, and I kind of was figuring out her backstory too and her relationship with the grass. And then the moment that I realized the secret at the heart of the book, mm-hmm. which is of course that mayhap is the mysterious's creation and not there's another mayhap, um, that she's basically a changeling. Um, and that's why the parents left to go and find the quote unquote real, real mayhap. Yeah. 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 When that happened, that kind of a lot of things clicked into place. And I found that often that when once I know the big secret that usually is around the midpoint or like around the climax of the book, that that kind of clicks things into place for me. And then I can go back to the beginning and kind of reorder the dominoes so that they match up with that secret. So that was a really big realization. And so what happened was I had this really messy draft that had that twist in it, that had the mysterious. So she was less developed, I think, but it had her in it. It had, you know, all the basic kind of building blocks of the story. Mm-hmm. But I was feeling at this point, I think I was just really tired. I was feeling kind of demoralized because I'd written so many different drafts and it didn't, 
this is the other thing is you don't really know. You can feel when something feels kind of true and clicks, but also you don't know if something's good. Well, I never know. I never know if it's good or not, if it's working. And I was just feeling exhausted and and stressed out about it. And I emailed my agent and said, I have this thing, this draft. I don't know if it's very good. It probably isn't. Um, but yeah, can I just send it to you? And she's like, yeah, fine. Just send it to me. If it's rough, that's fine. I'll just re- like, I won't give you like line edit feedback. I'll just like read, read it and give you like broad strokes feedback. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. And I was expecting her to be like, you know, yeah, my agent is really amazing and she's really good at seeing the big picture of something when I get stuck in the weeds so sometimes I'll do this I'll send her a draft if I'm feeling kind of stuck and um yeah so I sent it to her and I was expecting her to come back with big picture feedback about the plot and about things like that and she just wrote I think she read it in like 24 hours Wow. It was either like 24 hours or two days. It was really quick. And she emailed back and she just said like, I love this book so much. It capital letters with all these exclamation marks. And she said it had made her cry and she loved it. And it was like, she loved it. And I just needed to like polish it basically. Or like, I think she gave me some notes about character. I think because at that point also the villain, the Mysteriosa wasn't as developed, like I said before. So she gave me some notes about the character But what I ended up doing was I wrote a whole new draft. So this is something that we're going to have to talk about. This is a problem that I do, that I, (laughs) a problem that I have rather. I wrote a whole new draft that didn't have the Mysteriosa in it. Why did I do this? I don't know. Yeah. So I took that note, which is like quite a small note. Like it wasn't a huge note. It was about character. And I, I basically ended up being like, well, let's just cut her out and maybe I can make it work. I don't even know how I did. I have no idea how. <laughs> I have no idea how I made it work, but I did. And well, it didn't work. That's the whole point is that I, right. re- I, I sent it to Patricia and she wrote back and she was like, um, why did you cut out this very important part of the story? Now it's a very different kind of a story. Yeah. Well, it's not the same. It doesn't have the same tone. Yeah. I like she, she was very nice about it, but she was like, maybe let's talk about why you cut it out. And like, cause now it's like a different book and I don't, the first version literally made me cry. And now this version is like very, very different. Right. That wasn't my note. (laughs) Exactly. That wasn't my note. Why did you do that? So, um, in a very, in a very nice way, um, this is a thing that I have done in the past and I don't know if it, it's it's hard to actually talk about drafting and revising for me like separately because they feel mm. like much of the same process. Yes. Like actually everything, like the idea and the drafting and the revising is all happening like almost like in a circular way rather than like a linear way. Yes. And actually, let me cut in for just a second because yeah. I, I did want to ask you about this when you were talking about all the different versions of this book and all the different settings. I am lucky lucky enough to have read some of your books that are not published yet some of your works Mm. in progress and as you were talking about this whole like oh I set it on the moon for a draft oh I set it Mm. here for a draft oh I tried it without the villain for a draft it feels very familiar to what you Mm. have done with some of the projects that you've sent me over the last couple Mm. years and reading reading books that you have written using the same sort of seed of an idea and often the same characters and maybe some of the same elements and yet taking them and turning them into such completely different books. So I was going to say, it does sound like this is 
the Haley process of how many different versions of this seed can I write and try on before I find the one that fits. So as you're talking about drafting, you're saying drafting and revising and and tearing things down and starting over and making, yeah. I mean, that sounds very destructive to say tearing it down and starting over because that doesn't feel like what you do. It feels almost like you dress it up in a different outfit and send it out again, trying <laughs> all these different outfits for this seed. It's so interesting because it's been such a learning process for me to figure that out. Yeah. Um, and also to know, this is the important thing, to know when to stop doing that and to actually just revise. Because I think that maybe it's just really fun for me to be like, oh, what about this? It's almost like still being in an idea stage or brainstorming stage where anything is possible and you can add anything, you can take anything out, you can, yeah, you're just like playing and free associating. And what if I did it this way? What if I did it that way? And yeah, like that's the safe place is the playing place where anything's yeah. possible and everything's still a little bit hazy. Um, but once you get to, okay, let's start nailing this down, then it it's hard. Well, I, I, I find it hard anyway yeah. to make things work really smoothly and to iron all the, you know, I like polishing sentences, but polishing plots is different. Like polishing <laughs> plots is, or getting plots to like work like a little machine yeah. is really hard. Like all the moving parts. Um, so yeah, so I think it is just a love of that because it's happened a couple of times with my agent. It got to a point when she sends me notes, she'll be like, I don't want you to change X, Y, Z, like <laughs> keep this, keep this. These things are important. Like they're right. like the pillars of the book. So you <laughs> can change. I love that so much that she's you learned can to don't tell Haley feedback because she might without saying specifically or else the, a, a character might completely disappear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I guess there is something really cool about not being precious about things and being able to say, because I really have always been like that with the, the the whole way I got my agent initially was I did a, a revise and resubmit for her. And that whole process was basically I threw out the draft that I had before and rewrote it from scratch. And it still had the same spirit, but it was a very different story. Um, and so sometimes it works out really well like that, because if I'd taken that new draft and thrown that all out and then written an entirely new story, it would have been taking it too far. Like you've, it's gotten to a point where it's good and it's, you know, so don't, don't throw out like the baby with the bathwater basically. So now she's, she'll say to me, these are the things I really love about it. And I don't want you to change these things because I love them. And these, you know, they're really important to the book. They're kind of the heart of the book. Yeah. Yeah. And like other smaller things, I think the way we've spoken about it before is like the stuff that is like structural to the mm -hmm. book. Like if you had to think of it as a building mm -hmm. or, or a car or something like that. So it's the parts, the parts that make the, the building or the car work and function at as a car or a building, yeah. you can't just rip those out and like not replace them with something. Right. Um, but then there's decorative stuff. It doesn't feel like knitted into the fabric of things, mm -hmm. but that you can kind of take it out or replace it. Or one of the earlier versions of the Tonaway Girls had an orangutan in it. Like I think up until we submitted it, it had an orangutan. And then my editor recommended that we remove it or suggested that, that we remove the orangutan. And I did. And it didn't change the structure of the story it didn't change the mm -hmm. themes it didn't change like the character's journey 
anyway, that's a kind of an aside, but, but yeah, so I think it's, I think I'd struggle to maybe differentiate between those things. It all just feels mm-hmm. like, Oh, I could replace anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for Patricia, she really loved that version and it had the heart of what the book is now. Yeah. And I think she was able to recognize that. Whereas I honestly, I often have that feeling of just, I'm in the weeds, I'm in the forest. I can't see what's good and what's not good. I can't see what's working, or what's not working. So I really need someone on the outside to tell me. Looking from project to project, everything that you've sort of worked on at at this point, do you find, is it easy to find what is essential? Um, I wouldn't say easy. I think when I, when I'm anxious about getting something done and I'm in a state of, because I think that's how I was feeling about um, when I was drafting Stray Garden and I knew I was so aware that it was taking me a long time. Mm -hmm. And it was also you know, I just published my first book. So, I mean, I still consider myself a very new author, like a very, like a baby author in a way. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I was like a very baby author, very like, I guess I hadn't yet made that connection between this is a really important part of my process. It's not just inefficient mess. It's a really important part. And I was feeling anxious about it and stressed about it. And I think when you get into anxiety or stress, it's very hard to see what's true, what's real, what's important. And you can lose track of the heart. Yeah. But I didn't know that at that point. So I think that's what happened with that revision is that I kind of lost connection the sight of the heart of it, the, the connection with the mm-hmm. heart of the book. Um, once I found it, once I find it, I do, I think it's different because now with that perspective, I know that I'm going to get anxious about it, but I also know how important it is to, to remain connected. So I haven't done it to that extent again, because mm-hmm. like yeah. what you were saying earlier, which is such a nice way of putting it is like, you're dressing up the different drafts so they could wear slightly different colors or like, you know, like, oh, this version's set in Florence and this version's like set in modern day South Africa. And this version is, and that's, yeah, that's like, that feels like you're changing the filter almost or the tone or mm-hmm. I don't know, there, there is, you know, that is a big change, like to change a setting like that, but it's, but the heart of the book was still there, I think yes. across those work in progress that you that you're mentioning or that you're referring to so yeah I think that was the only time that I really ripped out the heart like badly mm-hmm. um and I don't want to do that again so I want to well firstly I've made peace with my process and I've made peace with how joyful it is to me and I know it's important to me and it's important I think to the final product too like I think I can also rationalize and say that it it does make for a better book because every time I've tried to write a book for like for someone else in a way Mm -hmm. or for what I think someone else wants to read or in a like forcing myself to outline or forcing myself to to polish as I go or to know exactly what the story is from the beginning to the end it hasn't really worked out it doesn't have it might be like a perfectly readable story but it's lacking something and I think that thing is probably some kind of truth or heart so now that I know that about myself I've made peace with it. I just accept that this is my process. Um, and I'm because of that, I can still get anxious, but I can I can bring myself back to like, no, 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 this is the this is the heart of the thing. Keep coming back, keep coming back. Even in revision, that's important, I think. Yeah. You are someone who I love to talk about process with, especially because in the last couple of years, as our friendship has progressed, I've heard you talk about bringing ritual and joy and pleasure back into a process that 
like absolutely gets sort of punched around by the realities of publishing and trying to balance that, that commerce and creativity, like you were talking about. So would you tell me, tell me about kind of where you're at with your current process, because I know writing processes, processes, processes can shift and change over the years as you sort of go through phases as a creator. But tell me about what your process is like right now. Um, Tell me the story of it. Tell me about it as if you were looking down at Haley working on a book, like she's a character in a book. (laughs) Like what is, what is like the physical parts of your process? Like if we lifted up the dollhouse and looked in at Haley working on her book, what does it look like? I actually think it pretty much looks the same. Like it starts with me making notes in a notebook with a pen, but I never draft like by hand because I just don't have the patience for that. Um, (laughs) And it's like physically painful. Um, So I don't do that, but I take notes in a notebook first and do a lot of brainstorming. And I spend, when I first have an idea, it kind of feels like I have the idea. I usually send my agent a pitch because I get excited about the concept. And then um, she's like, cool, go write that. And then um, I kind of leave it in the back of my mind and I don't look at it for a little while. Like I look at it, but it's like out the side of my eye. And I've often kind of likened it to waiting for an animal in the wild to come close to you. You have to kind of sit really still. And sometimes I feel like if I start, if I just dive in too soon, that I'm going to just chase it away. (laughs) It feels, it feels like a living entity that I'm trying to get to like, like, trust me and come closer. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's like a note taking stage and a thinking stage and drawing little maps and, and listening to music um, and daydreaming, lots of daydreaming. I find, Mm -hmm. I think daydreaming is so, so important. Do you sit down ever like saying, oh, for the next hour, I will daydream? My life is set up that I do have quite a bit of blank space that I can use just to noodle. Um, I think if my life had to change and I had like a small child or like, I don't know, just different life circumstances, I might have to schedule it in and I probably would. Um, But also like every time I'm driving my car, I put on music and I just let my mind wander. so yeah, and it's also it's I'm also like listening to different pieces of music and trying to figure out like what's the touchstone piece of music for this book. I don't have to have it; it's not absolutely essential, but it helps if I have a piece of music that I can come back to mm-hmm. um, as kind of like a doorway into the world of the book that just has that tone, the tone that I'm going for. Yeah. So there's a lot of that in the beginning, and then eventually I will sit down and say, okay, I need to write a draft, and I so I try to have like kind of the catalyst moment like where the character is in the beginning of the book what is the catalyst that changes everything for them and then I like to have like what is the big secret that they're working towards like that moment in Stray Garden when you realize Mayhap is a changeling like that's the thing it's almost like a pivot that the whole book turns on yes and I do it helps to have that I don't always have it like sometimes Mm -hmm. I think I have it and then I write the draft and I'm like oh no it wasn't actually that or there's something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't always have it, but, but it helps to have it, to have that to write towards. But I never know the ending. I never know like what happens in the middle, which is hard because middles are hard and it would be easy if I knew what happened in the middle, but I don't. So anyway, I just dive in. I start making a lot of mess with words and, um, and yeah, and I write often listening to music Um, I like waking up really early in the morning, kind of like when I'm between sleeping, I feel like I'm still half dreaming. 
and I like to draft in that way because it feels like my logical mind kind of hasn't woken up yet Mm -hmm. and I can still I can exist in that dreamy space Mm -hmm. um so yeah and I just write until I kind of have a sense of oh this is what the story is or I'm getting close and then I'll start sending stuff to my agent and get her feedback and we revise together kind of back and forth a blog post maybe an old blog post of yours I think at the end of 2019 had this I think it was like your new year's resolutions for the coming year or like things that you wanted to work on as a writer mm-hmm. in the coming year and it uh you mentioned this one thing that I I think about so much which was you said use the good notebook use the good tea yeah the good teacup will you talk about that a little yeah I think that comes back to the pleasure thing like I think like so many people like the reason why we started writing when most well, okay, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of writers, they start writing when they're children and they start writing because it's really fun. <laughs> and you just like making up worlds and um, having that kind of, it, it, to me, it feels almost like this rich inner world that is a refuge for me that I can disappear into when I get kind of overwhelmed or tired out by the outside world. And and then sometimes I think people lose that connection to, to pleasure and to joy that you have when you're a kid. And we get very businessy with ourselves. And like, you know, you have to sit at a desk and you have to write 2000 words a day, exactly, no more, no less. And you have to plan and you have to, I don't know, you have to like act like an adult about it Yeah. in a way. And, but the thing is that part of you that writes the books, I think is still a little kid. And likes to play and likes to make a mess and likes to experiment and goes, what if I told the book from the perspective, what if the narrative of the book was like a mountain instead of a character? Or what if, like, you know, that's a part of your mind that comes up with really strange, like interesting ideas. Part of using the good notebook and using the good teacup, even though, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't really have beautiful notebooks or beautiful teacups, but it's, it's just connecting to that part of myself that goes, this is allowed to be fun. It's allowed to be beautiful. It's allowed to be pleasurable. Yeah. And it's, there's something that's in a sensory way, that's very pleasurable about writing. And I like, I think it's important to me to, to connect to that. Yeah. Especially writing on a laptop, it can feel almost like the book isn't real. Or, yeah. I don't know. It feels very like, grown up, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Like it's a do job. You're typing. Yeah. And it is a job, like sure. to be fair, it is a job, but but it's a paradoxically, it's a job that you have to do by forgetting that it's a job. Yeah. Well, and part of what I loved about use the good teacup too is not saving things for a special time, but like saying yeah. every single time it's going to be special because especially yes. when you're talking about little kids, they want to use the special stuff every time. Yeah. <laughs> they want dessert every day. They want every yeah. day to be an ice cream day and every day to be a dress up and use the special dishes and lipstick day. Something you've taught me for sure is allowing yourself to just say, yeah, I I get to choose that every day can be a special day and that's allowed. Yeah. I do think it's imperative. I think I can always feel when I'm getting away from, from joy, it's like getting away from the heart of things, getting away from like why I'm actually doing this thing. Yeah. You know, there's this writer and teacher I love called Martha Beck and she, 
I, she has this thing where she talks about how there's like a game to everything. And then there's the real heart of that thing. Hmm. And sometimes I think of it that way. Games are fun and humans invent the rules and we all decide, okay, in order to get published, you have to do these steps. And those are the steps of the game. Like publishing is the game of writing, but writing is the heart of what writing is. Like if you don't enjoy the actual writing part, then publishing isn't going to feel, it isn't going, going to satisfy you. The real satisfaction of making something is actually the process of making it, the difficult days, the days when you don't know what's going on, the days when you're making a mess, the playing, the breakthrough days, that's the satisfaction. Like that's the stuff that you look back and you're like, oh, I'm so glad I walked that path. It's wonderful to be published, but it's not, I think if you don't have the satisfaction in the work itself, in the process, then you're always just chasing the next book deal, the next thing, the next award, and it, it lasts for a moment that you, you feel really excited that someone wants to buy your book or that your book is out in the world or that you won an award or that you got a great review. It's amazing to get those things, but it's fleeting. Yeah. And then it's like, well, what's the next thing? So that can't be, I think I had to get to a point where I had to decide that can't be the thing that drives me or that is like the main motivation for why I write. And it's and it's it's never been the main motivation for why I write. I've always written because it was because I absolutely had to because I love it. Like drinking a nice cup of tea or a hot chocolate or something or eating a piece of cake while you write. That's that's like if I could eat cake every day when I wrote. I mean, I maybe I should. Maybe I actually should. But but yeah, like why not? Life is hard enough. <laughs> so, yeah series eat the cake life is hard eat enough. the cake drink the hot chocolate have fun enjoy your work yeah. even on the hard days I know it's hard but even on the hard days you know to have that moment of to have that feeling of it's like a satisfying feeling of going for a hard run or a hike or something like that where you're like you you know it's hard but at the same time you know that it's that that's part and parcel of what it takes to get fit or to go for the hike and to get the view at the top is that you have to climb the actual mountain or the hill or whatever you're climbing so and there's something really satisfying and addictive about that process even when it gets hard you're like cool this is hard but like I'm going to come back to it tomorrow well speaking of joy let's talk about the story of how this book got published so yes after I sent I sent that first draft to Patricia she absolutely loved it then I did yeah I did the revision that ripped the heart out of the book we had a conversation about it and Patricia helped me to see that I had ripped the heart out. And I was like, oh no, no, that's not a good idea. I need to go back and do it again. So I revised it again. I think that was, I don't know, it was probably like three months or so um, that took me to do that and sent it to Patricia again. She read it again and then sent me probably some smaller notes, which I then tweaked. Uh, when we sold the Turnaway Girls, it, was, it wasn't a two book deal. It was just one book. But um, Candlewick had an option on my second or on my next middle grade fantasy, we, we had to send it to my editor first. And I, I wanted to do that because I wanted to continue to work with her. I'd loved, absolutely loved working with her on the Turnover Girls. So yeah, so we sent her, we sent uh, Miriam the, the manuscript. And, um, and then I think it was 60 days. How an option works is they just for people, not for you, but for people who are listening is that um, your publisher will have, they have the first 
the right of first refusal, basically. So the right to see the manuscript first. And if they turn it down, then you can submit it elsewhere. And the period that had specified that had been specified in the contract was 60 days. So we submitted it. And um, yeah, about two months later, Miriam got back to Patricia and said she loved it and they'd love to publish it. And and that was really a really joyful moment for me because obviously it had been a long journey, but yeah, like a two-year journey of writing the book and figuring out who these sisters were and what their story was. And I was just really happy that Miriam loved it and saw the heart of it and wanted to publish it. It's always such a thrilling feeling Mm -hmm. because you just never know if someone's going to get what you're trying to put across or get what you're trying to say with the story and, and love it as much as you do. So yeah, so that was quite quick. Um, in terms of like being on submission, two months is basically nothing, yeah. to be honest. So, um, so yeah, it wasn't too painful to wait. Um, and it's actually really nice to know that like they have 60 days and they're going to get back to you within that time frame because you can kind of just shelve it in your mind. You can kind of just go, okay, I don't have to think about that for two months. I'm going to do other things as opposed to just like thinking almost like, it could be three months. It could be a year. It could be, you know, could be never. Long. We may not. It could yeah. be absolutely never. Yeah, exactly. So then working with an editor to revise versus working on your own and with an agent to revise, mm-hmm. how, what was the difference for this book? It was very different from the Tonaway Girls because basically, and I think Miriam did say this when she accepted the book. It was in much better shape than the Tonaway Girls when we first sent it to her. So it was less revising. It was more like instead of like ripping out the, again, the structural stuff and like really getting into like, if you had to liken it to like a house renovation, you're not like ripping out the floors and knocking down walls and stuff like that. You're, you're tweaking, you're adding, you're refining, you're mm-hmm. making the shiny things more shiny and the dark things more dark and really thinking about the characters and how they're interacting and, and thinking about their motivations. And I think the tone of my girls, I did two rounds of big revisions, like mm. big picture revisions with Miriam, and then two rounds of line edits before we went to copy edits. Wow. Um, whereas this, it was just like one round of big revisions, one round of line edits. So it, it did feel smoother and it felt, I did feel more, I think it's easy. I think, well, I don't know if it gets easier with each book, but I definitely felt just more experienced. Like I knew what the experience was going to be. I felt more prepared. Maybe also because I had taken so much time to really get to know the story. I don't know. Maybe that that is partly why it made it a bit like easier in a way or smoother. But at the same time, every book is so different. And um, like, as I'm saying that, I'm going like touch wood because (laughs) I know it's just... If I say that, like the next book I write is going to be a nightmare to write. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I feel like the the story we hear most from writers is that the first book compared to the sophomore slump second book of publishing and revising and all of that, yeah. the first book usually feels a lot easier, even though you're mm-hmm. learning how to, you're learning how to go through publishing. You're learning how to revise with an editor. It's your first time with edit letters and copy edits and Mm. all of these deadlines and things. But the second book is the first book typically that you, you are writing and revising and doing all of this with publishing, looking over your shoulder in a way. Um, yeah. like you're, you're out of the, the sort of cave that you were able to be in for the first book. And also 
you know, a first book can take an entire lifetime to write and work on. Whereas a second one, you know, you've got these tighter deadlines and your story is kind of the opposite, which is really interesting. But if I remember, I mean, there were parallel times when you were working on Stray Garden and Turnaway. It's not like you had the idea for Turnaway Girls, wrote it, completed it, and then found your next idea and had to bring it forth. They lived both kind of side by side for you for a while. Yeah, that's actually true. Because we only sold the Turnaway Girls at the end-ish of 2016. I think it was August 2016. Yeah, and I got the idea for Stray Garden at the mm-hmm. beginning of 2016, like tail end of 2015 so they were definitely living side by side for a while and I was balancing I guess it was like you know the university course I was doing um yeah with this kind of sister idea Mm -hmm. that was kind of mostly sitting in the back of my mind and I was like doing that thing where I watch it but not too closely (laughs) thing um and I was yeah I was revising the turnaway girls with Patricia basically to get it ready Mm -hmm. for submission I think it was easier. I do. I think partly why Stray Garden was easier was that I just felt like I knew myself better. I just like knew myself more as a writer and I knew what I kind of what I wanted to achieve, even though obviously there were bumps on the road. There was a long time I didn't know what the story is about. There was that like errant revision. I don't know, maybe it was also really helpful to have Patricia with me like right from the beginning. I still find it makes a huge difference to have an agent who's really supportive and encouraging and I can send things to her and she'll always give me feedback. And even just to say like, this is cool, keep going. It helps to have an expectation in a way of someone is like expecting something from you. But at the same time, I must say, I think there's a caveat to it because I wasn't, I think it would have been very different. And I think it is different for authors who are writing a series or who have sold in a multiple book deal because you have that, you have a deadline on the draft. Whereas I didn't have a deadline. I I knew that, you know, I want, did have a thing. I wanted to have a book every two years. So I had kind of an inner deadline and I had Patricia was expecting it. And I guess my editor had some expectation at some point that we would send her something. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like, oh, by this date, you have to send a draft to your editor. The Turnaway Girls came out and I was really, I was really anxious about it coming out. It felt, I felt, I was really worried about, about what people would think of it. And even though we'd, we'd had some nice reviews, I don't know, I was just really anxious about it. Whereas when Stray Garden com- came out, it was also like a conscious choice. I just decided like, I'm proud of this book. I did my best and that's going to be enough I don't know it was such an interesting process because I feel like between the Turnaway Girls and the Sisters of Stray Garden Place I learned how to be gentle with myself as a writer like that Mm -hmm. process again going back to like the process is so important because it teaches you who you need to be to write that book and I had to learn how to be gentle I just had to learn that and by the end of like reading over the past pages second past pages for Stray Garden, I, I feel like I had, I don't have it all figured out yet, but I had reached a level of being able to be gentle with myself that I hadn't had before. I remember that, especially because I remember when you had past pages for Turnaway Girls, you reached out to me with some yes. of your anxieties about how many changes are you allowed to make in past yeah. pages? I don't even want to mention how many changes I made. That's okay. You, <laughs> you are not, no, you're not alone. There's so many writers yeah. that I know who make a lot of changes in past pages. And I, I think that's very normal, but I, I also remember, and this is like an overgeneralization of 
I'm sure the anxieties that you were feeling with Turnaway Girls, but I remember specifically you were saying that you were kind of tracking and mapping certain when certain words were happening to make sure that you didn't yeah. have any repeats. Yeah. Which I think is totally normal because past pages is the first time you see your book laid out visually. Mm. And sometimes word repetition pops out in a way that you didn't notice because of the way the lines wrap around and you're like, oh, I used that word. It's right on top of each other. I didn't notice that. Whereas Mm. I do remember when you had past pages for Stray Garden, I don't remember if you told me this personally or if you mentioned it on on Twitter, that you had come to this realization and this piece about repeating words Mm. in the manuscript and even on the same page by just saying, Hey, these are the words that are in this book. These words belong to this book and there might be repeats on the same page, but that's okay because it's almost like part of world building that these words are going to be repeated. It sounds like such a small thing, but I really was, I can't explain how anxious I was about that in the Turnaway Girls, not only about like, you know, I understand you don't want to kind of have one sentence with the word I don't know, like, so let's say you use a certain verb, like he handed her the thing. And then the next sentence is he handed her the thing again, or she yeah. handed him the thing. It feels like a bit clunky. So that's one thing. And, but, but I was like, oh God, like I've used the word, like, I didn't want to repeat um, the same word on the same page or even like in the whole book. Like I was looking at like, oh, in the whole book, because you can do that thing in word where you like search for a word and you can see, oh, I've used the word silver, you know, 500 times or something like that. Right. Um, when you, and it's such a, it gets to a point where it's actually, it actually becomes absurd because you can't write a book that makes any sense without repeating words. And part of repeating words is like, this is something that I had to learn is that part of repetition is world building and is tone and atmosphere and all of that. And there's a reason why you need to repeat certain things and it's not clunky or lazy or, I don't know. I felt like someone was going to call me out for it, like for being like a lazy writer that I couldn't think of a different word. Um, but sometimes repetition is intentional. Um, but yeah, so for the Turnaway Girls, I was like really zooming out on the language and thinking in the whole book, am I repeating these words and am I using them, you know, too many times? And is and also, you know, when you write a book in first person, present tense, well, in first person, you're in that person's head and it does feel kind of claustrophobic that you're in their mind. And of course, they're going to come back to certain kinds of phrases or rhythms or things that they say. And they're going to notice the same things over and over because you're looking at the world through their eyes. And so, yeah, I was just really, really, really stressed about that. And I, yeah, I remember sending you a message on Twitter can we talk because I'm having like an anxiety spiral about all these changes because it started out and I was really excited about reading the past pages. I realize now we're talking about a different book, but that's okay. Let's just go. It's all part of the story. (laughs) But I started out reading it, um, reading the past pages and I was really excited because they looked so beautiful and it looked like a real book and like, yay. And, and then I just started getting more and more and more anxious Mm. and I was making so many little changes. And I think in the end, I probably made, I, I can't really remember. I think it was like 500 changes to quite a short book, like a 200 page book or 220 page book. And the past pages, that's a significant (laughs) amount, I would say. It is, it is a significant amount. Well, so that was first pass and then second pass, um, my editor was like, you get this many changes. Yeah. Oh, that's you can I do remember. this number, which was actually really helpful. 
But I still had an anxiety spiral because I ended up having like a list. Let's say she said, I can't remember the number, but let's say she said, you can do 15 changes. I had a list of like 50 that I wanted to do. And bless my agent, I sent her a list of all of them and was like, please choose which 15 because I don't know what's important and what isn't anymore. Yeah. And um, and yeah, she read it and she was like, just like do these ones. This is yeah. cool. That like it it just beca- it became so hard for me to tell what was like absolutely necessary to change. I don't know. And what was just like moving things around for for moving things around sake, like just changing yeah. something for change for the change's sake. Or just for the feeling of like, oh, I could make this slightly better, or I could make it. I've heard people say, you make a change when it's better if you make the change, not just different. Yeah. And that's a lot of what I was doing is just like, it needs to be different. Mm-hmm. But I guess I kind of felt like it had to be different in order to be better again, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to repeat the same word over and over. I became that's- so fixated on that. And it's not like you were repeating the word discombobulated eight times. It was no. like sky and yeah, super. or black or sea. Right, right. Which is so like that's the book. Like that's actually sure. the book. Like dark stone but sky. <laughs> I, I think it's important to note too that for you as a writer, like you, Haley, the language and the chance to play with language and create language is such mm-hmm. a huge part of what you love about writing. And so yeah. to know that you, your book going out there and you're going to be talking about you as a writer, how much you love language and, and that maybe that was going to spotlight language for a lot of people who have that expectation. And it is, I, I mean, to be honest, I do think it was just intense anxiety. Like I think yes. I have anxiety in general and it was part of that. And I just became really fixated on it coming from I'm I'm quite new to writing novels. Like I only started finishing novels in, I think I finished the first draft of a novel in 2011. And before that, so I was 23 then. And before that I had written poems and short stories and things like that. And I always loved the part where you get to kind of really finesse the language and go in and polish everything and make everything really shine and yeah you know, just really get like into the details of it. And it's, it's, it's a very different process though, as you know, like writing, I was always bad at writing short stories, but writing poems, it's so different to writing, doing the language in a poem, even a long poem is different to language in a novel. Like a poem does things that a novel doesn't do and vice versa. And I think I was kind of, that it was also partly being inexperienced and just being really kind of new to novels as a form. Um, in terms of writing them and and not getting that language in a novel has to ground and and orientate the reader and it has to do different things to, to what it's not just pretty and it can be really beautiful but it does need to keep coming back to something it does need to circle back and it does need to be grounded I think I just learned with Stray Garden I kind of felt like oh I've been here before because mm-hmm. that's the other thing with experience is that you just can't when you're in that experience uh, you're in it and you just have to experience it and go through it and figure it out. And yeah. then afterwards, when you get back to that, each book is very different, but at the same time, it also has the same, there's a sameness to it in terms of there's a sameness to the stages that a book goes through. Mm-hmm. And I just knew with Stray God and I could preempt that I was going to be anxious about the language. Yeah. I could, I, I knew different things about writing. It's interesting how you, with each book, you kind of almost have to not become a different person, but you, you learn different things about yourself. I wanted to talk about some of the specific themes or tropes or building blocks in Stray Garden. The first one I wanted to talk about was 
the haunted house trope, which I hadn't really thought about Stray Garden Place as a haunted house before. Mm. But I feel like, so the house itself that they live in is magic and it provides every material need that these sisters could possibly want. It dresses them, it makes food for them. And it really is as simple as like, they can say out loud, I need a drink of water and one will appear in their hands. It sort of cleans up after them, even without being asked. Um, Mm. I think you mentioned at one point, the carpet sort of thickens if they're going to be, if they're falling so that it won't bruise their knees. Yeah. It's a very nurturing, caretaking house. Mm. I love that play of usually there's a caretaker of a house and this house Mm. is the caretaker. But I feel like in a lot of ways, especially because this book plays with gothic tropes and horror tropes and is definitely gothic fantasy horror, like fits in all of those genres. I feel like it also could be classified as a haunted house story. And I just wondered Mm. if you have any like mini stories as Haley um, of other haunted house tropes or books or stories that you like or where maybe that came from in your own life like if you can find like what's the story of that yeah I think I am probably less interested in actual ghosts and more interested in well I'm interested in ghosts I think ghosts are cool but I'm interested in how in the psychology of ghosts or the the, the psychology of ghosts in stories and what it actually means to be haunted yeah like to be haunted by memory or decision that you made Mm. or regret that you have which is a big part of what Stray Garden is about so yeah again like I didn't go into it because of the way that my writing works I don't ever go into something going like I know a lot of people do this where they'll be like oh I wish like I really want to write something like Star Wars or I really want to you know I love like enemies to lovers I'm gonna write like a book about that trope and I love that I the idea of doing that but because of the way my process works I don't often do that or I don't I have never done that before like gone oh I really love this trope and I'm going to do it a bit differently right um so I didn't set out to write a haunted house um when I had the sisters in the you know in the bed and they were like they were close but there was tensions between them and I mean right from the very beginning of that very first idea seed I knew that they were kind of in a way haunted by something in the sense that something had happened that had caused friction between them. Mm-hmm. They didn't know how to navigate it. Um, but it took me a long time to figure out what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just having a ghost in the house, having the character of the Mysteriosa, who is a ghost, a 12-year-old girl, it just felt right for the story. And I think it, it, felt, it felt right um, just like emotionally and like an, on an intuitive level. But I think if I had to read it logically or think about it with my rational mind, it makes a lot of sense in terms of the themes of the story of, you know, the whole idea of, you know, how your life can be defined by a choice that you make mm-hmm. or a word that you say, just like one thing that and can, it can feel like the whole, your, the whole rest of your life can hinge on that one secret or that one choice. Um, and that's kind of what ghosts feel like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, I did love, uh, I think when I was in Bath, I watched Crimson Peak because it had come out in the cinema. And I did love that. Obviously, it's very different, but I loved that kind of Victorian Gothic thing and the creepy house and the 
what I loved about that is that the ghosts seem really scary. I mean, they are like really hideous and scary, but they're, they're actually kind of good. Like they're trying to, they're trying to warn her. They're not really spoiler alert if you haven't seen that movie, but they're not really the villains of the story. So yeah, Crimson Peak was kind of a big influence for that. I definitely have, I mean, I love Gothic novels. Um, I read one by Laura Purcell called, oh, it's called The Silent Companions. Yeah, yeah so yeah, that's super creepy. And again, like it's very different from Stray Garden, but I do, I think I just like the idea of an old house that is creepy and magical and scary and that may or may not be haunted. I guess like, again, the psychological landscape of that, of the house that you're not allowed to leave the claustrophobia, the trapped feeling of it. And also the really interesting kind of interplay between this is a really beautiful place. It's a luxurious place. It's a place that looks after your every need. Like in a way, in some ways, it is my dream house because then I would never have to clean. I would never have to cook. I don't like cooking or cleaning. And I would just be like, oh, I really want to read that book in the library. And it would just like come flying towards me and I would catch it out of the air. Like, having a librarian that is also a hippo in my house like that would be amazing I would love that and so yeah there's this like beauty and luxury um juxtaposed with the I guess the claustrophobia and the loss and the grief and um and yeah the the feeling of being of being haunted it's it's such a brilliant take and that juxtaposed to because you don't think of crimson peak as a beautiful house. I mean, once if yes. it was fixed up, it would be absolutely beautiful, but it is yeah, not crumbling. No, you wouldn't want to live there yeah. and not because yeah. it's haunted, but because aesthetically it's a mess. It's falling um, apart. Literally. There's like a hole in the ceiling when she yes. walks in. Right. Yeah. Which <laughs> kind of is my dream house to have snow that comes into my house. Like I would love yeah. a, like a, a foyer that just, yeah. Snow. Snows. Yeah. Please. Don't have that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Stray Garden is not that place. And yet, mm. um, like you mentioned, you have, you turned it into like even the most beautiful, wonderful, caring, magical house becomes a prison if you cannot leave it. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, I think what I'm interested in also is trauma and specifically how trauma can happen in ways that are quite subtle and that are in within a kind of good childhood or like a childhood that you have all your material needs met. Like no one would like kind of look at you and think that you're being abused or that anything really terrible has happened to you because you, yeah, from the outside, it appears that everything is fine. Right. And what I'm interested in, I guess, is like the things that happen on an emotional level that, Mm -hmm. you know, while it's wonderful that your material needs get met, there are emotional needs. And if those emotional needs don't get met, it doesn't really matter how many like beautiful dresses you have. And, and like, that's just something that's, there's something that's really interesting to me about that. And I think, yeah, like the whole idea of, you know, the house could meet some of their needs, but not all of their needs. And that there are needs that only your parents can meet or that only, yeah, like nurturing adult humans can meet. And the house just can't do that for them. That was also 
again, like not something that I consciously chose, like I'm going to play around with this trope, but just something that appeared in the manuscript that stayed because it was fascinating to me. Yeah. No, that's the perfect segue because actually my next sort of thing I wanted to talk about was looking overall at your work. And obviously I have been lucky, lucky enough to read other manuscripts that you've written that are not published yet. It is a theme of this a theme that I am noticing that pops up in your work is this idea of like what I like to call lowercase t trauma, which mm. is, is not necessarily trauma because of anybody's massive sin. Nobody mm. performed a grievance against you in an abusive mm. way. It's really no one's fault except just that parents are flawed, siblings are flawed, teachers are complicated life is complicated we all sort of hurt each other all the time I love that like your books as I'm looking at them kind of stacking them up and looking at the protagonists especially I feel like a theme that pops up is this idea of a main character sort of learning a secret about themselves that is not about a superpower that they have it's sort of like playing with a chosen one trope but in a way of learning about a crack or a trauma or something that's wrong with them or broken Mm. about them like quote unquote Mm. broken about them yeah big quote marks (laughs) yeah 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 something about them that either doesn't fit in the world that they're supposed to fit into or that is that very clearly marks them as a flaw or a defect in the world that they're in Mm. And, that is so interesting. Yeah. yeah. I have not thought about that. <laughs> well, it, it is really interesting. And um, I guess I just wanted to ask you about the types of protagonists that you are drawn to writing and talking mm-hmm. about, I mean, in Stray Garden Place, you you call it like the crack, like creating yeah. a crack in somebody and finding this yeah. crack or or making a crack in a character so that the magic can get in. So tell me about, the kind of cracked protagonist that you are drawn to writing? Well, what I was going to say is I think I'm interested in how there are parts of us that can be hidden to us and not just not just like, oh, I didn't think of it that way, but like that you can literally forget that something happened to you or you can kind of just not, yeah, just not know. Like you've never looked at that part of yourself, almost like a room that's locked inside yes. you. I'm really interested in that. And I think it's because it's just been part of my own life that I, I have like thought that I was this thing and then realized or something else or, or not just even that, but almost like sometimes not remembered something that happened and then suddenly had a moment of clarity where I remember it or remember what it actually meant Mm. or just see it from like an adult point of view rather than like the child version of me. Yeah. And I think that's definitely like, I guess part of the journey that I'm on is trying to integrate things, like integrate things that have happened to me and happened around me and to really look at them instead of kind of ignoring them or locking them away. So without getting too specific, I think that is, I think that's just something that's really, really interesting to me. Like the secrets, not the secrets that other people keep from us, but the secrets that we keep from ourselves. And that also goes with something that you mentioned earlier about a house not being able to provide for all of your emotional needs and that trauma, maybe like lowercase trauma, lowercase T trauma happens when our needs are not met in small ways. 
Mm. But something else that I love about, about your books is playing with sort of the chosen family, found family concept of sort of creating a family around yourself to provide so that everybody is providing a little bit of what you need. And so that it's not all on one person to provide everything that you need. Well, that's really interesting. I've never thought of it that way. And I definitely, it's interesting also because I'm the kind of person that I try to meet all my own needs myself. And it takes a lot for me to expect a need to be met by someone else or to ask for help or anything like that. So there's no saviors in your books, I guess is what I'm saying. Like there's no one person coming to the rescue. That's really insightful, Lindsay. <laughs> You've asked me such amazing questions. Good. It's so fun. Good. I could talk about this book forever and we didn't even really totally get into language, which we'll save for another um, like discussion. I think sometimes yeah. I, can, I can really pick your brain about, about your language cool. creation. We'll end these with like, I'm going to give you a writing aphorism a commonly Mm. a commonly discussed or given piece of writing advice and I just want to hear your reaction and cool and you just tell me if it fits in with like your writing story like what if it fits in so I'm going to start with a basic one the Mm. advice to write every day what do you think about that advice Uh, so I actually have thought about this quite a lot because um, when I first started writing, I read that and I, it it gave me a lot of power. It felt like a powerful idea to me because um, in the beginning, when you, when you're afraid of something or something feels really intimidating to you, it can really help to do something every day. It's like a little bit of practice every day. And it's not that you have to do three hours, but the idea of writing, you know, a hundred words a day, or just sitting down with your manuscript every day and doing something was really grounding for me. And it really helped me to get into a routine of treating my writing with respect and treating it with like giving it the space that it needed to say, no, every single day I'm going to write. Mm -hmm. But once I got into the routine of it, of writing, um, yeah, I I went through stages, you know, like after I finished something, I go through a stage where I can't write because I don't have any words inside that are, (laughs) I don't have any words left kind of thing. And And so now my process is more like if I don't write every day, I do not beat myself up about it at all because I just know that that's a fallow period and I need a rest. And I can tell when I'm, there's coming back to pleasure and joy, there's a feeling of like things are bubbling over and I have enough and I feel full and I can write every day. And that feels really fun. And then there's a time where you feel like you're dragging words out of you and it feels really laborious and hard and like, just like um, empty and nothing really rings true. And that's, yeah, so I think it really helped me in the beginning of my career to say I'm going to write every single day. And I think it's good advice, like if it works for you. But also know that if you have fallow periods, you have periods when you can't write, that's totally fine. And you just need to fill up your well so that you can get back into a rhythm of writing every day or every weekday or whatever it, it is. It's definitely not like a, a necessary thing. Um, but yeah, I was talking to my sister about it because she um is just an amazing athlete and she was saying how it's kind of like being in the gym where when you first start training it helps to say I'm going to go every day 
because you need to develop the habit. But once you de- you develop the habit, you know when you're kind of just being lazy, like, oh, I just don't feel like it versus going, no, I actually have nothing to say now. Or I actually have like a sprained ankle, so I can't train. So I'm not going to train every day for three weeks or I'm just feeling really tired and I need rest. And I think it's the same with writing that once I develop the habit, I didn't really need to lean on that like everyday rule anymore. And now I just do it intuitively. And if I'm feeling like I have a story welling up in me, I will write it. Um, I don't have to worry that I'm going to kind of shirk off or not do the work. I always think about it like learning a musical instrument. And I always always marvel at how we forget that you do have to practice writing. We talk about writing as a practice. Yeah. Um, And we talk about, oh, I have to write today. But how interesting would it be if it was, oh, I have to practice writing today. If that was what we said, it would make a lot more sense too. Mm. Um, Because if you say, well, I'm learning the piano, I have to practice for 15 minutes every day. That makes so much sense. Um, And it takes the pressure off. It's not like, oh, I'm writing, um, you know, an opera or I'm (laughs) composing. Right. It's different. But but it makes sense that you do have to sit down if you're going to learn an instrument and create consistency. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you in that same that same understanding of the right every day advice is so great for if you are beginning and learning how to develop that muscle, it can be mm. really important to just to bring it into your life and treat it yeah, with respect. It helps with just setting a boundary. Like yeah. I'm going to do this every day. And, yeah. But yeah. once you're an accomplished musician, it makes sense mm. to go in and out of phases of playing your instrument and yeah, needing to like, practice like brush up your skills if you're rusty if you've taken some time off like all of that makes total sense sometimes like we expect weird things out of writers that we don't expect out of other practices like yeah that's true athletics and music and work yeah thank you so much for listening to story of the book if you like this episode please share it with a friend Or give us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, stay safe and keep writing. Bye!